Well, good morning. Welcome to the cathedral. I'm glad that you've come to be with us today. <clears throat> I hope that this is a great weekend of celebration for you. You have a good time with family and friends. July 4th, 2016 will be the 241st celebration of independence in America. And it is right to celebrate, I think, for this nation is nearly a unique phenomena in the whole history of mankind. <clears throat> the concept that government exists and only exists of the people, by the people, and for the people is an uncommon rarity on this planet. In fact, it is about as rare as a cold day in Savannah in the summer. Actually, there was one once, July 4th, 1816, 200 years ago. The daytime high in Savannah, Georgia was 45 degrees. But I think you get my point. You see, you and I have been blessed to live in this land, protected by two oceans, and the undaunted courage of generations past. We who are blessed with the richest land mass and natural resources on the planet, we of all people ought to be filled with abundant gratitude for our exceedingly good fortune. Now, I understand in this world of postmodern skepticism that we are not to think in terms like a blessed nation, a favored nation. But I assure you solemnly that all such skeptical talk comes from those who only know the world through the bias of internet media. To have actually lived in other places on this planet is to know how blessed America is. Now, that is not to say that other places are bad. I imagine, uh, I invite you to imagine life in, uh, say, North Korea, for example. Nor is it to pretend that our nation is perfect. No, indeed, as I spoke on Memorial Day, our sins, national and personal, are many. But Christian, freed somehow from that popular notion that humanity might be its own savior, that somehow someone less than the Messiah himself can ever solve humanity's woes, if we think with sober political judgment, then we ought to realize how blessed we have been by divine providence. I would offer for your thinking this morning that the freedom, the prosperity, the technology, the peace that we are experiencing in America today represents more goodness of life for a larger number of people than at, at any time for any people in the history of the world. Despite what every 
political party or politician is trying to sell us these days. As far as life on this planet is concerned, friends, it just don't get no better than this. And we who know that all this comes from the hand of God ought to be exceedingly grateful. But this morning, as a minister of the gospel, it is my duty to remind us all that above everything else, our citizenship is in heaven. This morning, as we celebrate the rare privilege of living in 21st century America, I would like us to recall the exceedingly great and abundant privilege of our citizenship in the kingdom of God. Paul's letter to the Philippians was written to citizens of a great empire. To the citizens of Philippi, Paul wrote and he reminded them, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from heaven, we await the true Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, why would Paul say something like that? He himself was a Roman citizenship, a Roman citizen. This was not sour grapes. To be a Roman citizen was no small thing in the ancient world. And Paul himself actually leaned heavily on that privilege at times. So why would Paul say such a thing to the Philippians? As we give thanks on this Independence Day for our great good fortune, I would like to offer you four reasons for your consideration. Four reasons why you and I should center our lives on our heavenly citizenship. The first is this. The nations of men rise and the nations of men fall, but it is only God's purposes on this planet that will last. It is impossible for humanity to create anything that is truly enduring. In the ancient Near East, the Persians created the largest kingdom the world had ever seen to that time. It lasted for nearly 300 years. But in eight short years, it disappeared from the planet. There was no glory greater than that of Rome, but after its capital was repeatedly sacked, the Western world was plunged into 500 years of darkness. We all know that only 150 years ago, the British Empire ruled three-quarters of the world's landmass. But friends, before my lifetime is ended, that once great empire may very well be returned to little England, just as it was in 1066. It is only God's kingdom that will be established forever. That's why our psalmist this morning wrote this in Psalm 145. He said, 
All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. This shall speak of the glory of your kingdom, and they shall tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Your dominion endures through all generations. Your true citizenship is in heaven, for that is the only kingdom that will endure through the ages. Now, the second reason Paul would write such a statement to the Philippians is because your place and my place in this world is brief and transitory. Even if, and I say even if, humanity might be a way, might find a way to establish a truly good, just, and enduring government, you and I could never be anything more than just a passing part of it. Your days are like grass. You may flourish like the flower, but in a moment, you will be gone. Therefore, citizen of heaven, you are called to see beyond the visible. It is so easy to get mesmerized by current affairs, to be glued to the internet, hoping against hope that somehow this is all going to get turned out okay. But your true king bids you to see with eyes of faith. He bids you to understand where you have come from, where you are going, and when you may expect to find the final resolution of this world's troubles. The writer of Hebrews puts it this way, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. And he has prepared for them a city. You are a child of eternity above all else. And eternity will come to claim you. Your stay is very brief. Thirdly, I invite you to reckon yourself as a citizen of heaven, for it is your heavenly king that is presently at work, even now, among the kingdoms of this earth. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. It is your God who watches over the affairs of men, and he works justice and judgment in his time. Therefore, as citizens both of this age and the age to come, you are called to live in righteous fear and awe of him. 
Our Old Testament text this morning was from Deuteronomy chapter 10. I invite you to turn there. It was page 155. Deuteronomy 10 at verse 17, the people of Israel, you see, had just come from living, as it were, as citizens of heaven. For 40 years, they had wandered about in the desert without a home, without a place, and with few possessions. But always, they were right there, face to face with a spiritual encounter. They had been physically connected to God himself in the fiery pillar and the cloud. In the wilderness, if you will, they were sort of a traveling monastery. But now, as they crossed the Jordan, they were about to enter into the citizenship of this world. They were about to cross over and acquire all the riches and complexity and distractions of a land their very own, with all its privileges, possessions, and temptations. Moses warned the people that there was a very great danger in the midst of all these wonderful, this-worldly blessings that they were about to receive, that there was a very great danger of losing sight of whose they were and why it was that God had blessed them. Moses said this, he said, For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial, and he takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow, he loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. So you love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. And by his name you shall swear. He is your praise. He is your God who has done for you these great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen. Though there would be no more cloud, no more pillar, no more thunder and lightning on top of Mount Sinai, yet the eyes of the Lord would still be in every place beholding the evil and the good, working justice and punishing wrongdoing. Friend, you are a citizen of heaven, and to heaven you will give account. Though the world about you knows it not, it is your God who is already at work judging, vindicating, and establishing or taking down the affairs of men. Do not lose sight of that, so on the great day you do not lose your reward. The fourth thing I would offer you for your consideration is this. 
every citizen of whatever kingdom is called to do what they can for the common good. It is a law of history and civil society that effective governments, the societal fabric itself, will collapse not long after its leaders and citizens begin to live only for what they can get and not what they can give. But you see, you, citizen of heaven, are in a position to offer to the world around you a rare and precious gift which no one else can offer. You have the power to make your country great. You see, Proverbs 14 says, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Now, I realize that might sound like sort of high and lofty and difficult. But as a citizen of heaven, you already know what righteousness looks like. For your king has already stated his demands for his kingdom. We read it this morning in the gospel, Matthew 5. You, therefore, must be sort of good. You, therefore, must be perfect even as your heavenly Father is perfect. And in that very same sermon, King Jesus declared this about you. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a bushel. But on a lampstand, where it gives light to all the house, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. As citizens of the heavenly kingdom, we are called to strive for holiness in all our conduct. Yet here's the strange political equation. Your holy living can actually become the stuff that transforms society around you. It can become the stuff that ministers to the present world as well. Citizen of heaven, you have been called to be a witness. Not of an elephant and not of a donkey, but of a lamb. It is King Jesus, the Lion of Judah, the Lamb of God, who offers every citizen personal transformation, which translates itself into useful service for humanity. Well, let me close with this. 
I think it's been fashionable among evangelicals in the last 30 or 40 years to image our Christian patriotism in the mold of a George Washington or a John Adams. Yes, indeed, they were great men. And from all accounts, godly men too. But if you will allow me on this Independence Day, I would like to offer up Daniel for your consideration. For the prophet Daniel was a truly godly patriot. Neither Babylonian king nor Persian potentate could have found a more loyal, skilled, faithful, or industrious citizen than Daniel. In the affairs of this world, no one could have asked for a better servant or more loyal. But in the whole course of his 80-plus years, Daniel never forgot, first and foremost, his citizenship was in heaven. He never failed to bear witness to the truth by deed or when, ne when necessary by word with a courageous witness. He never transgressed the limits of his own authority, but he never forgot that God's authority is over all. When the moments of testing came, and they came repeatedly throughout his long life, he stood firm at the very places where God said, here you must stand. His citizenship was in heaven. Christian, are you prepared to stand? Do you know that your citizenship is in heaven? Amen.